They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run Cause I cook competitors until they look well done Don't act like you don't know where I held from I had to climb up out the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play Me falling off, huh, that'll be the day I'm like Bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run I've been thinking about mortality a lot lately. Having lunch with my best friend, he's big in his church, very big on faith, started his own clothing line, but it's not just a clothing line, it's more about the message that his clothing line carries. And while we were having this vegan soul food lunch in this park in front of the museum, talking like friends do. We're talking about the disciplines and the things that we're doing, the projects we're working on, the things we want to do together, things we're doing on our own. And he referenced a conversation he had with someone else, probably from his church. He said, you know what? We should do everything we can to die empty. Like what? To die empty. You know, you didn't leave anything behind. You gave all you had to everything you've done and everything you want to do in this life. It made me think about all the things I had done and have I given the best effort? Had, had I given everything? Was I trying to hold something back? Was I trying to put something in reserve for later on? Was I trying to protect myself against the prospect of failure? Now, I am one who generally states that I'm allergic to a couple of different things. Penicillin, sharks, and felonious stupidity. Failure is on that list as well. And before we go any further, I'd like to welcome you to The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you each week by the fine folks at Press. We are Press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland at the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland at the number one on IG, and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. Failure. I have moments with myself sometimes where I think about the things I dreamt about as a kid, that I want to play professional basketball, that I want to be a lawyer, a doctor, that I want to play jazz trumpet, that I want to have my own quartet, that I want to be as impactful as Louis Armstrong or Muhammad Ali or... Julius Irving, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X. One of the most influential people in my life was my mother. Notice that I, I, I marked all these men. And the influence I got from my first teacher, my mother, she made me aware of something at a lunch one time, another lunch, about my life, about my career, about things I had done with myself. And she said to me, you know you Forrest Gump your way through life, right? For those of you who hadn't seen Forrest Gump, he was basically, his story is about every man being in tune with the, the world and allowing the world to unfold the way it should. And I was taken aback by it. I felt like moms were trying to diss me. But then she explained, because I'd seen the movie before. She had as well, obviously. Much like Forrest in the movie, whatever you saw that you liked and want to be a part of or want to do, you did that. You figured out how to do it, and then you did it. Whether it be mastering your schoolwork and being the best at that, basketball, working in the music industry, doing some things that no one had ever done. These things have taken you around the world a hundred times over. You've been able to see things many of the young people who you grew up with will never see, who will never have the chance to see it. Understand your blessings and then don't mess with them. 
do everything you can to continue to live through those. And I felt bad. No matter how well she explained it, all I could think about was a promise I made to my mother when I was a kid and telling her that I was going to buy her this big home and she would never have to work again and all this stuff because I was going to play professional basketball in the NBA. That never came to be. And I find that promises are the refuge of desperate people. I don't know if I was desperate at seven, but I had a goal in mind. I got close. But close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, so told by my dear old dad, bless the dead. And so I didn't accomplish that. Maybe I didn't work hard enough. As a matter of fact, let's, let's keep it a buck. I didn't work hard enough in college. I was more concerned with all oh, this newfound freedom. And look, women, look. Again, I was cool with school, cool with sports, but I had a concern that was on par with those and it was being out in the streets and, and exploring everything I could explore as a young man. It's a wee lad, I like to say. And so some things suffered. My desire to become one of the best players in the country, to be looked at by the NBA, didn't come to fruition. I can live with that. What I can't live with is the fact that I know I did not give the effort. For whatever reason, I can make all kinds of excuses, but I didn't. I look backward on it because I was able to turn that energy into something else, something greater, whether it be things I've done after I left university and what I'm doing now with Full Court 21 around the world, what I'm doing with my new project called One Neighborhood. And maybe one day soon I'll talk about that. I'm so teaching as I created and taught the world's first university accredited course on hip hop culture. So I guess it comes down to how we measure success. Is success the Supreme Court of the United States of America shooting down the NCAA and allowing young student athletes an opportunity to earn from their likeness, from their name, from their image on their own and not have the NCAA, the cabal, the mafia of the NCAA controlling those aspects of someone else's life? I feel like, you know, even with this ruling that just came down from the Supreme Court, that somehow the NCAA is going to figure out how to reconfigure this thing because it should be dead. Like the NCAA should be effectively done now as a result. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll find out in weeks and months to come, maybe the years to come, because they will fight it. You can't tear down the institution that was printing money off the backs of young uh, men and women or however you gender identify for years in a day. It's impossible. I feel like they're going to reconfigure this thing to make it like a 360 deal in the music industry. If you're not familiar with a 360 deal, not only does the label not pay for all of your stuff, the NCAA may not give you uniforms and stuff if you can go out and get your own endorsement deal. They may not give you sneakers, but they still want to make a profit off of everything you bring to the table playing within their institutions. So, oh, Kate Cunningham, even though he's going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft this year, if he was still at Oklahoma State, you got to deal with Nike, with Honey, with Gatorade. We need our peace. Break us off a piece. You know what this is? Who knows? I was recently made aware of an incident on TikTok. Now, I'm an old ass dude, so I don't TikTok. I don't Snapchat. I don't do any of that. I have a love-hate relationship with social media, as I've expressed on a multitude of occasions on this very program. But I noticed that some young black, air quotes, shouts out to my man Dwayne Watson, creatives basically shut down TikTok. The new Megan Thee Stallion song came out. Normally, TikTokers are all over the case, making sure they create these new dances, only to have other people who don't look like them co-opt the dances, claim it as their own, and earn as a result. That's foul, but that's also America when it comes to cultural creation. 
just a fact. And I love that these young black people got together, stood together, and basically shut TikTok down. TikTok is the hottest thing moving right now. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. Shut it down. Imagine that. Fancy that. Young black people working together to get something done. Now, of course, this is a temporary fix. So they'll always find that one person or a couple people will step outside the lines under the guise of, well, you know, I get solidarity, but I still got to eat. Cool. We get it. But just to see if they did that. Maybe they can create their own app. Maybe they can give everything they have to creating the world they want to see. So at the end of the day, they too can die empty. There's more to come on this episode of The Open Run with Will Strickland. So come back for more right after this. Does Alex Caruso realize that getting popped for weed possession in Texas is only going to lend to him being okay when he moves to Portland after he gets traded for Big Game Dane? I mean, he's part of the trade. They're not going to trade him straight up. Oh, we're back? Ha, okay. Well, welcome back to the open run with Will Strickland. Lakers guard Alex Caruso was arrested and popped for weed possession in Texas. Had to do you know, I guess a day in the county jail down there in Texas and uh, all kinds of crazy memes were out about how LeBron was trying to get him out. I'm sorry, how he who shan't be named was trying to get him out of jail and all this other stuff. I mean, he was released. Uh, if you remember the professor, the one white guy on the N1 mixtape basketball team, he was basically like, you know, Jason Williams light. And when I say Jason Williams, I mean, you know, white chocolate Jason Williams. They were making memes about Alex Caruso being in, in jail or in prison, playing one-on-one against these guys for Jello fruit cups. And jail is not something to laugh about, really, because if you've never been, it's a problem. But this is almost indicative of the Lakers season and the things that are going on. As a matter of fact, in other Laker news, Contavious Colwell Pope was recently robbed by three armed gunmen. And they took, as the story stated, $150,000 worth of loot from him. Read jewelry. Now, listen, I don't propose or, or try to tell someone how to live their life. You earn that. You can wear whatever you want to wear. But cats are hungry in these pandemic streets. You got to watch how you move. And if you have to watch how you move wearing what you wear, maybe you should think about what you're wearing because they will come and get it. The wolves are at the door. Hyenas unite. And that's what they did. So I'm glad he wasn't hurt. But we have to be a little bit more aware and, and move lightly. With the NBA draft lottery last week, the Detroit Pistons got the number one pick of the draft. It is almost a foregone conclusion. They will select Cade Cunningham, freshman out of Oklahoma State, probably the most versatile player in the entire draft. That will definitely lend to some questions about what they do with that draft pick, what they're going to do with their roster now. They were really big on Killian Hayes out of France and what they're doing to Isaiah Stewart, who made the all-rookie team. So it's going to be very interesting to see, and maybe we won't get too deep into our own GMing and allow Troy Weaver and Coach Casey to figure out what they're going to do. But I, I, I've said this on the program before. I'm really excited about what they could do, uh, along with Sadiq Bay out there. And Detroit, with that roster, they could be the next Phoenix. Who knows? The NBA draft is July 29th. 
a month from today, and we will see at least 30 young men change their lives and up to 60 have their lives changed as a result of being selected to possibly perform in the National Basketball Association also. The very, very good and very competitive G League, who's had a great many of their players come up and play major roles in the NBA, including one we'll talk about, making his mark in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, in this draft, the Toronto Raptors get to pick fourth. And what's unique about this is that one of their former number four picks, Christopher Wesson Bosch, pointed out that, you know, number four is not a bad place for the Raptors to pick. I mean, there was a guy before him who actually helped to create the environment for the NBA to thrive and flourish in Canada. His name, Vincent Lamar Carter, who was traded on draft day for Anton Jameson. Imagine if Anton Jameson stayed in Toronto and they left Vince in Golden State. Wow. At any rate, Lots of people are thinking that the Raptors will pick up a guy by the name of Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs was on the national championship runner-up, Gonzaga Bulldogs. He's one of those guys who's so athletically gifted, but also very smart. He's just one of those players you need. He, he will end up being a Marcus Smart type player in the NBA, in my opinion. Maybe a little bit more talented, but definitely in that range. Do the Raptors pick him? What happens with Messiah's jury is going to mean a lot to what they do. Are they going to be in the Ben Simmons sweepstakes? Will they have an opportunity to re-sign Gary Trent Jr.? There are lots of things that are going on. I know that Raptors fans are hoping for the absolute best. Is Ben Simmons a good fit, especially with Pascal Siakam being out for the first at least month, month and a half, two months of the season with the shoulder surgery? A good pick for the Raptors. We'll find out. As a matter of fact, for those Toronto Raptors fans out there, or fans in general of the game, if you have an opinion or thought, let me know. Hit me up on my socials. You know where to find me. I don't do this too often, but I'm going to do it today. Shouts out to Michael Jeffrey Jordan and Jordan Brand for signing what they like to call the WNBA family. They've signed 11 women to represent the brand, the biggest number of female signings to the brand to represent them, including Canada's Kia Nurse. And Michael Jordan made a statement like, if we don't respect women, if we don't have them as a part of our decision making and everything we're doing, we are missing the mark. Absolutely, sir. And based on another recent conversation I had with someone who's very dear to me, we had to talk about Canadian Olympian Kim Gauthier, the young lady who is being forced, as it's being said in the media, to make a decision between breastfeeding, because she's a breastfeeding mom who just had a young baby by the name of Sophie, I think in March, if I'm not mistaken, and going to the 2021 Tokyo Games, which have put in place protocols to mitigate as much as possible the chance for the transmission and spread of COVID-19 by saying strictly, by being very strict in these protocols and saying there are no, other than the athletes, no friends, no family, nothing. No one else can come to the games except these athletes and the staffs that are coming with them as part of the Olympic Committee. Now, initially, my thinking was, okay, well, these are the rules. Why is she being, quote unquote, forced to do this? And I felt like it was like some sort of privilege. Like, why do you think you're an exception to everyone else who's going to these games? Maybe there are other people who are, who want to voice their opinion, who don't have the platform, who have not utilized the platform and say, hey, I need this exception too. But she made me understand that this is a decision from a work standpoint that a man would never have to make, that she has to choose between her career and her family. And she's absolutely correct. And I know you work. For now, with 
the Olympic Games in 2021 in five years to achieve a goal. I don't know if I want to blame her or I want to blame the IOC and the Tokyo Committee for, quote unquote, forcing her to make a decision. We all have to make decisions in life. I wouldn't necessarily say that playing in the Olympic Games is your career. And that's where it gets slippery for me. But I totally understand that in this instance, perhaps if they make an exception for this one, do they have to make an exception for everyone else? Will this even hold up the games? It's a really, really tough thing. And I'd love to know what you thought about this because I don't want to say I'm on offense because I understand the perspectives from both sides, especially as a woman wanting to not only honor her parenthood, being a mother, but also living on her dream at the Olympics. It's a tough one. Thinking with the women's game, the WNBA is in the midst of its Commissioner's Cup. I'm really enjoying these games. Uh, I'm seeing the top two teams in the West and really the top two teams in the league. Sorry, Connecticut. I know you're going to be mad at me, but the Las Vegas Aces and the Seattle Storm played a, a finals level game this past weekend. It went to overtime. Chelsea Gray helped her Las Vegas Aces overcome the league leading Seattle Storm in a great game, picking up points toward the Commissioner's Cup. I really do feel like those are the best teams in the league. I really do. And as we go into our Power Five this week, Las Vegas stays up top at number one. And with this loss, I put Connecticut at number two over Seattle at three. Now, again, that's a week-to-week thing. That's my opinion. I get it. I like Connecticut. They just snapped a seven-game losing strike of the Chicago Sky, who were my number four pick in the Power Five this week. Uh, once they got Candace Parker back, they started rolling. Courtney Vandersloot helping out as well there in Chicago. But Connecticut, they're tough. And they're going to be formidable coming out the East. But they are my number three or number two. And at number four, as I said, Chicago, the sky, even though they had that that streak snapped, they're going to be great. I think they're going to be really solid going into the second half of the season, especially after the Olympics, barring injuries, especially to Candace Parker, who is still as versatile and great late in her career as she ever was. And then five, welcome to the party, the Dallas Wings. Now, they don't have the greatest record in the world, but they have the two-game winning streak, and they look like they're coming into form. They're going to be a team you have to contend with in the West, no doubt. What you don't have to contend with is less of the thing you asked for, the open run with Will Strickland. So come back and hang out with me as we talk the NBA playoffs right after this. Once again, it is the open run where the lecture is conducted from the mic to the speaker. Back talking about the NBA playoffs and also the 2021 U.S. Men's National Basketball Team selected to go to the Olympics in Tokyo. Led by now a three-time Olympian, Kevin Durant was destined to become the all-time leading scorer in Olympic history. Uh, he's only 25 points behind. I am Kayam, Carmelo Kayam Anthony. Along with other gold medalists like Kevin Love, Draymond Green, first-timers in Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, Bam Adebayo, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton, Jeremy Grant, and Devin Booker round out the roster. Now, 
Jalen Rose had some words about this roster on his program, Jalen Jacoby on ESPN. And he stated somehow that the United States was afraid to send an all-black roster, that Kevin Love was just a token white guy. Who was on, you know, Kevin Love won a gold medal in 2012. Now, he hasn't been the greatest or most effective NBA player in the past couple of years collecting that check. And you always talk about keep getting them checks. We're getting them checks. But for Jalen to make this statement, Jalen's my guy. I thought it was pretty tone deaf and, 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 and short-sighted that America is afraid to send an all-black roster when they just did that in the 2016 Rio games. Mm, research is a bitch, I guess. At any rate, his partner on ESPN Countdown, Jason Williams, Jay Williams, as I should call him, noting the hiring of Ime Udoka, assistant coach with the Brooklyn Nets, now the head coach of the Boston Celtics, in saying that he was the first black coach in Boston Celtic history. And I'm like, William Felton Russell is rolling up. Oh, he's not dead yet. Maybe he's giving you the middle finger, Jay, as well as Tom Satch Sanders and ML Carr and Casey Jones, you know, guys who just so happen to be black, who also just so happen to coach the Boston Celtics. Hmm. Gotta stop looking like a casual, my guys. We got to do better. I know we make mistakes, but come on. You guys are paid the big bucks to ensure you don't make those level of mistakes. Let's get it together. Let's button it up. The Phoenix Suns had an opportunity to button it up last night against the LA Clippers with a 3-1 lead in a closeout game, an elimination game. Tyloo, guy who might know a little something about coming back from 3-1. Hey, what's up, Golden State in 2016? What's going on? Has been coaching his ass off in these playoffs last night was a masterpiece it really was the buttons he pushed the adjustments he made when phoenix went big he went small when phoenix went small he went big demarcus cousins gave them a big lift off the bench do remember before the injuries this guy was all nba he's fallen into his role he understands that some nights he won't play and other nights he will and when he comes in he's ready and i think that's part of coaching that a lot of people don't look at the X's and O's are one thing. The relationships you can keep with your players is a whole nother thing. And I think that Ty Lue does a great job at managing personalities. He has playoff Rondo on the bench. And they're two games away from the NBA Finals. Now, alas, Paul George had to play an all-world game. And the pandemic P part might be coming off just a little bit. Because everyone questioned whether with, you know, with Ivica Zubats being out with an MCL sprain and Kawhi Leonard deciding whether he was going to go all KD in game five of the 2019 NBA Finals and have the front office and coaches and everyone kind of force him out of the court despite being severely injured or if he was going to sit out and his team loses, does that speak to his narrative? Does it change his narrative? Well, we don't have to worry about that because there's game six on Wednesday in Los Angeles, an opportunity for the Clippers to tie the series at 3-3 because they came out with a big win in Phoenix. They did a great job of negating DeAndre Ayton with this strategy. Reggie Jackson, who's been stellar throughout the entire playoffs, finally feeling comfortable in his own skin there in Los Angeles. Chris Paul once again denied the opportunity to go on to the NBA Finals, but again, they had two more chances to close them out. The margin of error for the Clippers is zero. You have to win the next game at the very least. So kudos to Ty Lue. And the Los Angeles Clippers, who, again, like I said, they scrapped. They've been down 0-2 in two series. It's never happened in NBA playoff history. And they're doing their thing. Before I go on that, though, 
want to say something about Devin Booker, who a lot of people are calling, oh, he's the next Kobe. Slow it down. But I guess if you want to call him the next Kobe, and you see what Patrick Beverly is doing to him, people say, he's not Kobe. Patrick Beverly could never do that to Kobe. Well, I mean, we don't know. We'll never know. But to compare Devin Booker because they wear the same shoes, or he's influenced by Mamba mentality. Okay, cool. I do remember Kobe Bryant shooting air balls against Utah his rookie year. And I know that Devin Booker's not a rookie. I know he's more experienced, but he's still 24 years old. First real playoff experience. And I compare that to Kobe's first playoff experience. He was on a better team back then. So he had playoff experience before Devin Booker did. Doesn't mean he won't have the same ups and downs. He's going to find his way against Patrick Beverly, who, depending upon who you speak to on that day, either a quality defender or just out there pump faking and pretending like he's that guy and putting more shine on himself than is necessary. But let's temper it just a little bit because there's a history here that we have to understand. Devin Booker, close out game, game six, it is on you to show up like Paul George did in game five to save his team. Let's see what happens. Milwaukee, Atlanta. I said earlier when I was talking about the G League and one of its graduates playing incredibly right now in the Eastern Conference playoffs, Chris Milton. Now, some people are saying, oh, the real star on the Milwaukee team is Chris Milton. Slow it down. We still know that Giannis is one of four men to have 10 straight 30-point, 10-rebound games in the playoffs. Four in the history of the game. No matter how it looks, no matter, like, at the end of the day, he's amassing these stats. And they're winning, and they're in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they're two games away from the NBA Finals. No matter how difficult it looks, he's still out there working. Chris Middleton had the game of his career. He and Giannis are the first duo to ever have three multiple 30-10 and 10 games in the playoffs. Ever. But it took Middleton to help close out in Game 3, the Atlanta Hawks who had an injured Trey Young to deal with, sprained his ankle. But Chris went all somersault. Hey, he's the winner all day. Light skid dimmer down Atlanta's hallway. Could not miss a shot to pull up the mid-range. Every, it didn't matter. From three, it didn't matter. He was in fuego. Respect due. So now we know who's the closer. And I think as soon as Giannis understands that his greatness is necessary, at the end of the day, Chris Middleton is the closer. He can create his own shot. He's not, you can't build a wall against him. He doesn't have a zero-sum bag. Chris Middleton has some wrinkles in his game. And he's showing that in these playoffs. Was that the Hawks' best shot? They were up big. The Hawks fans were excited about their first home playoff game in the Eastern Conference Finals in a couple of years. The last time they were there, there was a guy on the other bench coaching them. Yeah, Mike Budenholzer. Also, Darvin Ham. Shout out to Darvin Ham. And Trey Young, you know what he's going to do. Early foul trouble for John Collins, Kayvon, as his teammates call him when he's shooting well. Kevin Herter, who played stellar defense against Drew Holiday on a couple of great possessions and really making himself a valuable asset to, to Nate Daniels' team, Nate McMillan. But who's missing in action? Because Danilo Gallinari, Danilo Gallinari, who almost got into a mix-up with Bobby Portis. Hey, you better ask some people about Bobby Portis, in particular Nikola Miritich. He can tell you that, much like myself, his friends don't just call him hands because they can count on him. They added a little dust up, but then a little played great. Who's missing in action? My guy, Bogdan, Bogdan, Bogdanovich. That bitch is not shooting right now. Shout out to Shaq. I know his knee is hurting and everything like that, but they had an opportunity to take a, a lead in this series, to strike first at home, and they're going to need him. They're going to need his shooting. No DeAndre Hunter. You're not getting anything from Cam Reddish. They're going to need him to do his job in order to move forward or this thing is done because if Milwaukee takes a 3-1 lead tonight, 
in Atlanta, you can round up the horses and make sure you're heading out to either Los Angeles or, well, didn't Milwaukee have a better record than L.A.? I have to look at that. But I know they didn't have a better record than Phoenix. So, we'll see. I want to see Trey Young and those guys do their thing and continue to compete. I know they will. And look out for that game tonight. And you know what you should look out for? More of the open run with Will Strickland because it's not how we start, it's how we finish. And we're going to finish strong. So come back right after this. Yeah, man. want to welcome you back to the open run with Will Strickland and talk the coaching carousel in the National Basketball Association as Rick Carlisle, former head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, landed back on his feet immediately in a place he'd known before, the Indiana Pacers. He's a one-time Indiana Pacer head coach and assistant coach. As a matter of fact, the man who won the coach of the year in Indiana at one point, one Larry Joe Bird, you might have heard of him, took the award and said, hey, look, I'm not the coach of the year. I just spark out orders given to me from Dick Carter, who manned our defense, and Rick Carlisle, who manned our offense. Maybe he becomes a coach of the year. He doesn't have an empty cupboard. He's known as a player's coach. He's a guy who was a player in the league, played on that 1986 Boston Celtic team that was considered one of the greatest of all time. So that's part of his lore. Plus, he helped defeat the King in the 2011 NBA Finals when he was there in Dallas. Just read a story by my man Jesse Washington, the four-time Full Court 21 champion, three times in Philadelphia, one time in Montreal, who just so happens to also be one of the senior writers at ESPN's The Undefeated, wrote a story about David Fisdale, the two-time head coach in the NBA, his first stint in Memphis and second stint in New York with the Knickerbockers. Looking for his chance to come back to the league and understand a little bit more about what his vision is and what he needs to do to maintain a gig in the NBA. I'm sure that some of these younger coaches who have not had the head coaching stripes put on them until this cycle of coaching changes will look to a guy like Fisdale who has experience as a champion in Miami. So good luck to Coach Fisdale. Take that one for data. As I spoke about Ime Udoka becoming the Boston Celtics head coach, I think a guy like that is going to be great with Jason Tatum, who's a star, with Jalen Brown, who is about to be a star, and where they go next because they need some help on the interior. The answer is not Tristan Thompson. The answer is not the Time Lord, Robert Williams III. And I'm sad to say that the answer is not my 19th favorite player in the National Basketball Association, Taco Fall. So good luck to Ime Udoka. I'm going to look forward to seeing Nia Long, Nia Long. On the sidelines, I'm not lusting, I'm just admiring. It's a respect thing. Jason Kidd getting a job in Dallas despite protestations from the public about his past with domestic violence charges. And somehow he's still got head coaching jobs in Milwaukee and in Brooklyn with these same things. I guess it's just a different era, but we did have the internet back then. We did have access to this information. And I'm wondering how and why this is a big issue. Well, guess why? 
because the Dallas Mavericks front office was rife with ridiculous sexual harassment and sexual assault cases not too long ago. So what is Mark Cuban doing in that front office? I like Jason Kidd. I'm a fan of Jason Frederick Kidd. I am as a player and from what I've seen of him as a coach. But we have to read the room sometimes. Was he the right pick for this franchise, especially in life of their history? I guess we'll find out sooner than later. In the same vein, Chauncey Billups, Mr. Big Shot, got his first stripes coaching a team in the NBA this week as he was signed to a five-year deal, terms yet to be disclosed, with the Portland Trailblazers. Now, he and a former teammate in Boston were accused of a sexual assault, and there it was inconclusive. There were some inconsistencies and some stories. Billups was vetted for a couple of different jobs, including an executive level job in Cleveland a couple of years ago. I don't know if any of this came up. Fans are saying that their voices are not being heard. Now, though he settled out of court, should he have an opportunity to have the job? I don't want to throw any other players or, or coaches under the bus for their transgressions or alleged transgressions and how those things are seen the like because they were able to, guess what? keep their jobs. But again, this is a different time. And so there's going to be, with cancel culture, a desire to eliminate the possibility of these people ever rehabilitating themselves or growing as a result. And that is just as dangerous as allowing someone who has a checkered past to go unchecked as well. So I get it. There's a check and balance system. But to what extreme do we go to ensure these guys don't have jobs? But he has a job now. There's a female owner of the Portland Trailblazers who oversaw this as well as GM Neil O'Shea, who informed the team's best player, Big Game Dame, is Dame time, that these are the coaches on the list. Dame was not aware of Chauncey Billups' past, as fans came at him with all their online research, saying, how can you endorse this Chauncey Billups coming here? Because everyone wanted to see Becky Hammond become the first woman to coach an NBA team. And I get it. I get it 100%. But now, it's at the point where... Every single year, Becky Hammond's name comes up. Carol Lawson's name comes up. Teresa Witherspoon's name just came up as she's an assistant in New Orleans. And while all these women are highly qualified for these jobs, I fear at this point, as they continue to bring up these names as potential candidates, but they never actually get the jobs, this is like critical acclaim, which means when you're thinking about television, in this case, I'll use that as an example. Critical acclaim means that the informed, they watch it. They like it. They know about it. But nobody else's watch. Case in point, The Wire. Easily the greatest show ever writ or spit in history. I'm not debating this. I don't care what you say. It is what it is. Becky Hammond could be coaching a team in NBA, but her name is bandied about. And there's nothing like bandying when you're talking about coaching vacancies in the NBA. Then saying, hey, we're progressive. We're going to bring in a woman at least to interview. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Why? Good visibility, good PR for the teams. It's whack to me. I think at a certain point, the usury is going to reveal itself in the worst way until a woman actually gets a shot at the job and is not just a candidate, but actually has a job. Then we'll see how cancel culture and how these people who are supporting Becky Hammond and the Carol Lawsons and the Teresa Witherspoons, how they treat them the first time they have a winning strike. Oh, a woman shouldn't be. Yeah, we know. It's ridiculous. Guess what? Men lose games too. Men lose their minds. Some people say that Scotty Pippen, who's out here promoting his book, Unguarded, and his new bourbon line. I, mean, I don't know what it's called. Is it called Digits? Hands? Something like that. You know, Scotty Pippen has these really big hands. Now they're all gnarled up from years of playing in the NBA. It's on the bottle. Scott's out here doing his thing in the attention economy, talking about any and everything. In a big GQ article recently, he spoke on everything from Ben Simmons and the difference between Ben Simmons and Giannis Antetokounmpo 
and why Ben Simmons is who he is. He's done great not having a jump shot. The late, great Kobe Bryant once spoke about Ben Simmons saying that he's great as he is right now. But imagine if he had a jump shot. Imagine if he worked at the game. He'd be unstoppable. And there are rumors that he doesn't work at this game, that he's entitled. And in a way, I can kind of understand that in comparison to what Giannis is. Now, I didn't look at this until recently, but I thought about this. I'm like, well, Ben Simmons is from Australia, mixed race family, Australian mom, black dad, played in the University of North Carolina with Michael Jordan, went over to Australia, had a great career over there, married this woman, had a child, Ben Simmons. As you can imagine, being the child of a professional basketball player, a professional athlete, you do get some privileges that other people do not get. You do get some visibility that other people do not get. Ben Simmons may have been a product of this privilege. And this is why he's afraid on the stage where the lights are the brightest to be embarrassed, to not want to go to the free throw line because he knows he's not proficient there. It would cast aspersion on his game. It wouldn't look as pristine if he failed, but he's failing. In the fourth quarters of the games in the playoffs against the Atlanta Hawks, he shot three total times in the fourth quarter, including games four through seven. He did not shoot once. Afraid of the moment. Scottie Pippen brought this up. On the other hand, he said, look, Giannis will miss a, uh, he will shoot an air ball at the free throw line, come down to the next possession trying to dunk on you because he doesn't care because he's not embarrassed. And I can get kind of why he's like that. Ben Simmons, much like Giannis Antetokounmpo, is an immigrant, but a different kind of immigrant. Giannis grew up in Greece, selling trinkets, sunglasses and stuff on the beaches of Athens. His dad was not a professional basketball player. They did not have a lot of money. So, what could Giannis be embarrassed by? He just wants to be great. No matter how hard it looks for him or how, how it looks like the game is really hard for him to play, at times, he knows he has a bigger purpose. Ben Simmons represents Australia. Giannis Antetokounmpo represents not only Greece, but Nigeria. There's no shame in failure for him. There's only shame in not doing and not trying and not giving everything you have in that moment for holding back. There's nothing to hold back. Win, lose, or draw. There's nothing to hold back. My man Scotty talked about Charles Barkley and the regret he had for going down to Houston and playing with those guys when they had their super team back then because, you know, none of those guys would ever play on the super team, right? In Houston with Elijah Barkley and Scotty Pippen. But again, not a super team at all. And how Charles Barkley talks all this, you know, rah-rah about who's going to – I mean, you guys are approaching 60s. Slow it down. It's okay. We get it. You play basketball because you can't fight. So stop. He gave the business to KD, talking about KD's not a team player and that he who shan't be named would be better. And those opportunities against the Milwaukee Bucks because he who shan't be named would have found a, a different way to do it. Was KD playing for himself and KD was clapping back online because, you know, he's notoriously thin-skinned, has rabbit ears, hears everything, sees everything on social media. And he did clap back with something that was true about Scotty. I can't believe that the great Scotty Pippen sat out Best player on the team sat out of play because the coach drew up a play for someone else on the roster. You know, a team player. Ouch. Very well played, sir. Very well played. And last but not least, he talked about Michael Jordan. But he felt, you know, he's very careful with his words about Mike. But he did state that he was as important, if not more so, than Michael. That he didn't, it wasn't about Michael, it was about his cheerleaders giving him more light. It was a team game. But Scotty wanted that light too. So I guess he's about to die empty and give it all up in this book. And I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully we can give away some of those books on the podcast. But before I get out of here, I'm going to send love, light, and blessings to the family of Stacey T. Winters. 
aka Brooklyn Stacy, who passed away suddenly this past weekend. Stacy and I have never met in person, but I consider him a friend. He's a part of what we like to call the Bomani Jones diaspora, the Morning Jones diaspora. Bomani Jones is a show that brought together all these characters, whether it be DJ Mike Hitman in Chicago, who said I knocked him out in the dice game one time, and we met before in Chicago. Or my man Rod, what up, Bo? What up, Wall Street? When he would call into the show, and we thought he was like the smartest 18-year-old cat we knew, but he's actually just a young-sounding cat who was vibrant and living his life and figuring out what he wanted to do, and now he's living that with his wife. And one of the greatest podcasts, at least to me, on the interweb streets, The Black Guy Who Tips. I love it on name alone. And so many other characters, Toya, Joe from Raleigh. Like, there's so many other people who lent to this universe of great people who want to do great things with their lives. And we're doing them. Stacy was no different. As Brooklyn Stacy, we know he's from Brooklyn. He moved to the Midwest, to the land of Rick Carlisle and Larry Joe Bird, and found peace, much like Eddie Robinson from episode 18 here on The Open Run, moved to a place that he found peace, he found solace, he found an opportunity to grow his life, to give everything he can give to it. Stacy was very, very keen on, on baseball and his son's success in baseball. He would always announce what was going on in the games, you know, how happy he was with his wife and his life, and then he's gone. Now, some people are out here and knowing that they, they could die for nothing, but living cost. Living didn't cost Stacy. It didn't. He was starting his new insurance business, happy with his wife, his life, and now he's gone. Made me think of this Nas song, Live Now. And whatever it is you're doing today, tomorrow, the day after, not trying to be the information whisperer or the life guru whisperer, just saying, give everything you got to it because you never ever know. Don't disrespect your blessings like my mom said. I won't and hopefully you don't either. What I hope you do is do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble and keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich Kid, play my music man. I appreciate you.